All right, ready? Um, three, two, one, go. Okay. All right. Hey everyone, welcome to the Significant Strict Podcast. I am your host, Soft Weekly. With me, as always, is Val Duar, but it hasn't been always lately. We've been going through a few things. Oh, I'm sorry about that. But everything is going to be all right now. Val, why don't you recap? Because I know it's been a while since we've done an episode but I know you've been putting out the the picks on the, the Twitter channel, and how has Significant Strike been doing? All right, yeah. So, I mean, we obviously skipped a couple of weeks, but I put out plays for the last two weeks. Um, so just recap those real quick. We In uh, the, the Costa versus Vittori fight night, we, we lost on Dwight Grant at plus money, but we hit on the under for, for um, shoot, what's his name? for comma worthy versus jai herbert so that was like plus 0.08 units then uh this past week at usc 267 we so we went one and three but for good profit because all of our plays were significantly plus money the one we hit was mikhail oleksaychuk by knockout for half a unit at plus 400 so that hit and then we lost on jandaroba lost on for one unit lost on jandaroba um, by sub for 0.15 units and lost on Jan versus Sandhagen draw, which was obviously a real, real big long shot for 120th of a unit, 0.05 units at plus <laughs> yeah. 500. But in the end, we, we came out with uh, plus 0.8 units for that. So last two weeks, a total of plus uh, 0.88 units. All right. So it's still it's still moving forward. It's making money. That's good. Um, this card coming up tonight, you and I were talking about it. Um, earlier uh getting prepped for the show and whatnot that uh we're entering the fight season you know how it always happens especially after thanksgiving but in november it happens and then there's big pay-per-view cards lots of we see lots of cards all the time now almost every week but uh, historically during this time of year this is when you see the big cards come together and this is uh, kind of a good kickoff point for what I hope will be another great season. Yeah, I mean, we have two paper, er, well, technically not pay-per-views, two numbered events back-to-back. So we're coming into UFC 268 here following an amazing UFC 267, and I- I'm excited. So, I mean, uh, we-, we need to get this out today, so let- let's just dive right in. Right, yeah, yeah. where do you want to start tonight? Um, so I'm going to just briefly talk about some of these. Jordan Williams versus Ian Gary. Ian Gary's a highly touted prospect coming out of Cage Warriors that some people think he's the next Connor. Um, he's Irish and all that. He's he's knocking people out over there. He's undefeated, and he's really being fed an easy matchup here in Jordan Williams. who's the We've talked about him in the past. He's diabetic, so he has trouble cutting weight, and he's not that durable. He got knocked out by Mickey Gall last – or knocked down, then submitted by Mickey Gall, I believe, last time out. Yeah, Should be yeah. an easy win for Ian Gary, and – uh, he's minus 370 though, so not really bettable. Um, 
but just he's definitely one to watch out for for the future. Next, uh, Shabazian versus Imavov should be fun. It's the lines are at evens right now, which makes sense to me because Imavov he he kind of had a slow, uh, weird start. I mean, he looked just like just another guy, like nothing special when he uh, got beat by Phil Hawes. Um, and he fought Jordan Williams and was not impressive at all in that fight. But then he's, right, he's right. coming out now and knocking people out. He knocked out Ian Heinish, who uh, was ranked, and, and, and that really got him a lot of hype. He's the main sparring partner for Cyril Ghosn uh, over there at MMA Factory in, in Paris. So he has a lot of hype on him. He has good boxing for sure. His gas tank is of some concern, but not as much concern as Edmund Shabazian's gas tank which is historically awful. And of course, he's lost his last two fights to Hermanson by decision and Brunson by brutal Brunson beatdown um, as he gassed out. But he has been working at AKA and and I know they've been, they put him through hell in, term, in both wrestling and in cardio. So we could see big improvements from Edmund Shabazian. So I do kind of favor him in this. He's the, much, he's the more dynamic striker, more dynamic kickboxer in general, even though Imavov might have the better pure boxing. Um, but it really comes down to how Edmund's gas tank is doing. I mean, he was on a heater. He was knocking out everyone in the first round, even Brad Tavares, until he came up to Brunson and got out of the first round and got absolutely beat down. Right, right. Um, so I'm just I'm excited to see this one. If, if Shabazian has made cardio improvements over there at AKA, uh, I, I think I think he he probably is the better fighter if 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 they're at equal levels of cardio. Um, but if not, Imavov probably has the better cardio advantage from what we've seen in the past, and and could this could turn ugly, and Shabazian's prospect status could entirely fade away. Yeah, this is uh, one of those kind of fights where uh, we talk about cardio tons, but this is one where it really does matter because uh, Shabazian is electric, but he's only electric for a couple minutes. You know? Yeah, I and- mean, he was tuning up Hermanson in the first round of their fight, his last fight. But Hermanson's tough. And and, and when that, that first round ended, I immediately went to live betting odds and put a shitload on Hermanson at like plus money, plus 100 it might have been, because Shabazian was gassing and Hermanson then just proceeded to take him down and, and kind of beat him up a little for, for a decision. Not He's not as brutal of a ground and pounder as Brunson, but yeah, he beat him up and Shabazian just didn't have the gas tank to do anything to stop him. Anyway, though, moving on, we've got Ally Akinta making the return, the realtor making the return against Bobby Green. Um, this is an so interesting fight. It is. It, it should play out almost entirely on the feet. Uh, Al's obviously coming off of a big layoff. It's been uh, over, yeah, just over two years since he lost to Dan Hooker um, at UC 243. Before that, lost to Cerrone. Before that, beat Kevin Lee for the second time. Before that, lost to Khabib. Um, so he's he's consistently fought a better level of competition. Then Bobby Green. I mean, he has wins over Kevin Lee, win a uh, controversial win over Masvidal, knocked out Joe Lozon, only lost to to um, Kiesa, Clark, Nurmagomedov, Cerrone, and Hooker. So he's shown a good level, but I, I really think this is a bad stylistic matchup for him unless he's made incredible improvements. Bobby Green is such a great volume striker. He has a great jab, which is Ally Kinta's, you know, uh, Achilles heel. Right. Um, and Bobby Green looked really motivated versus Rafael Fazeev in, in that fight of the night at UFC 265 after, uh, at the end of last year, losing a controversial decision to Thiago Moises. But he is, has kind of uh, banged his head on the, on the 
upper echelon of this division. I mean, every time he gets up there, he loses. I mean, lost to Barboza, lost to Poirier, lost to Trinaldo, lost to Moises, lost to Fiziev. Um, but he he's 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 kind of a journeyman, but he's a fun journeyman. I mean, he has crazy output with his boxing. Um, statistically, he he's throwing ten over ten strikes a minute, landing five and a half of them, and only absorbing three point six five strikes per significant strikes per minute with a sixty two percent striking defense. Um, he's just he's a really dynamic striker when he's motivated. We've talked we talked about this for this last fight that he's had issues with right, you know just, yes. just coasting but he, he's exciting he fights with his hands down and has really um just really exciting boxing style really unorthodox boxing style um he's willing to take a shot uh, to to land a shot but when he takes the shot he's always rolling he's, he has a great shoulder roll so I, I do think especially with the time off that bobby green should beat ally akinta but He's he's a prohibitive favorite. Too much for me to to put anything on it. Yeah. Um. The one thing I would say about this fight is the uh, the numbers reflect that Al's been away for like two years. You know, I think um if if this were uh, twelve weeks after his last fight, I don't know if the spread would be this big. So I might no. right. So I might see some value there, but that depends on how Al comes back. And the truth is, is I used to not be a fan of him, but I found him to be like a uh, really blue collar, bring a lunch yeah. to work type guy, you know? And uh, he might be one of those guys where he comes back after two years and it doesn't look like he's had any time off. It might. I, I do think throughout his career, he has been overrated. Just he got to that upper echelon by beating guys like Kevin Lee in the co really controversial split decision versus Masvidal, where he got booed out of the building. Right. Um, when he fought Khabib, when he obviously really didn't deserve to, but they needed someone to fill in there. But he he got to that top fifteen and stayed there. Yeah. On on, but fighting questionable competition at times. I mean, he 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 knocked out Diego Sanchez, beat Kevin Lee again. He just had Kevin Lee's number really, and that those Kevin Lee wins are really the main thing that that kept him in that top fifteen yeah. ranking. He was even. <laughs> As, as late as like six, seven months ago, he was still in the top 15, the fight not having fought for a year and a half and having lost his last two fights. Right. Um, it, it's but funny. I, Al, I have to say, Al does have good grappling. He, he has a good right hand. Um, he's not to be underestimated. I just think he has been a bit overrated throughout his career. Oh, yeah. That's, what, that's uh, why I kind of prefaced my statement is because I didn't really necessarily like him on the way up in his career. But when he got there, he maintained and he he grew on me a little. Um, and like I said, I think he's that blue collar type guy. And it depends how he comes back because I think in any major sport, like a two year layoff is huge. You know, it's hard yeah, to come back from that. It is, especially in a combat sport. So yeah, there, I mean, there's just too much unknowns in general to bet this fight. Even if I had like a stronger lean, I probably would lean. Like if I really wanted to bet Bobby Green, I would still hold back a little bit just because of that two-year layoff. You don't know. Al could look terrible or could look great. I mean, a lot of people thought he was retired. Right. Um, there right. were a lot of rumors about that. But let's not get bogged down there and just keep moving forward onto the uh, to the featured prelim, which is one that a lot of people are excited for because the only man to knock out Israel Adesanya fighting alex pejera kickboxing legend might be a stretch but a great kickboxer nonetheless yeah um he, he's he but he's he's gone full-time into 
to MMA in his last kickboxing bout, he just didn't care. He clearly didn't care fighting Artem Vakatov. Um, and, and just really like he, he was checked out. But in, he's been fighting in LFA. He lost his first uh, MMA bout in Jungle Fight in 2015 by Rear Naked Choke. Um, but then came back to win the next year by knockout. Another win the next year by knockout. And then didn't fight. Just went back to kickboxing until 2020 where he's turned all of his attention to, to MMA because I mean really we talk about the difference between MMA and boxing as far as money for the athletes but the difference between kickboxing and MMA is insane too because not kickboxing is so far out of the mainstream while MMA is right on the cusp of being a very mainstream sport yeah um, but he had a brutal knockout this guy Thomas Powell in LFA was down for like six seven minutes as as Pahar was getting his hand raised and everything Powell was just still laying there he has insane power he's known for his left hook comes from a boxing background and um like like he started in boxing and then he became a kickboxer that really only boxed but he's really rounded out his game mainly he just has insane power and that that it, it's always interesting to see how these guys translate from kickboxing to mma because not just in as far as takedown defense and everything but also as far as the the striking style like gokan saki legendary kickboxer he got he got knocked out in MMA in a striking match. So it's, he had like, it was like an eight and eight record or it was some like 500 percentage record. Um, but Israel Adesanya, obviously 21 and one, I think is his record now. Um, and on his path to being one of the greatest. So it just depends with styles, but they're giving him as you'd expect with a guy who's three and one and has a lot of hype behind him. They're giving him the easiest matchup possible in the division. I mean, we saw this fight, this guy, Andreas Mikolidis, fight KB Buller earlier this year and it was one of the worst fights I have ever yeah, seen. Yeah, it was KB. laughable. <laughs> it was. And um before that, he's more known for fighting Modestus Bukowskis, who's decent. Just got cut, but he's decent. Nothing special though. Um but Modestus beaten him in the first round and then they opened the cage door at the end of the first round for the corners to come in and Mihalidis just falls backwards out, out out of the cage and, and collapses pretty much like he was leaning on the cage and he just collapsed backwards. And so, yeah, lost retirement between rounds because he couldn't keep fighting after the round ended. Um, he had, he, he's not a good striker. He has no gas tank, um, but he does have uh, IBJJF credentials in Europe. He's won some, some European tournaments, which are, are obviously not the same as winning um, tournaments in like Abu Dhabi or, in South America, Brazil especially, but he does have some supposedly good BJJ. We've never seen it in the UFC, but it, it, I think Pajera should knock him out because he's. But if Pajera gets taken down, Melitis could sub him in the first round. But I don't think Melitis has a gas tank past that first round, round and a half maybe. So I think I, th I have a strong lean on this one ending inside the distance. But with guys we just don't know enough about, I don't really want to. You know, play anything. Pajera by knockout is minus one twenty-five. That that's something I kind of like, but just not enough to play officially. All right. Um. Also, the decision he he won, won a controversial decision against Izzy. Like he beat Izzy twice. The first time was a controversial decision. A lot of people thought Izzy won, and then knocked him out in the second fight, a fight which he was losing, but he still knocked him out. Right. Um. So that that's where all all this in, intrigue comes from, and. It should be a fun one. I mean, I want to see him do well just because it's good to have athletes come over from other sports that are actually really, really athletic instead of some of the bums we get in the, these higher weight classes in, in MMA. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we'll just see. We'll just have to see. I'm, I'm excited to see. And I think everyone's excited to see how he does, like, even if it's against the, the like the UFC is clearly setting him up to win here, but he might still lose because who it's, knows? Right. Take down defense. Yeah, it's MMA. Anyway, that, that that that's all the prelims. So we are on to the main card now. Um, so the, the order got changed around. Gate G versus Chandler was supposed to be the third fight, but now they moved it to the opener because to give Trevor Whitman some breathing room, not having to coach back to back to back. Gaethje, Nama Yunus, Usman. Um, but I'm still going to leave it in the same order as far as discussing it because Gaethje versus Chandler is kind of like the people's main event here, even though the actual yeah. main and co-main <laughs> event are all also awesome. I mean, all five of these main card fights are awesome. But anyway, we're still going to start off with what was supposed to open the main card. Marlon Chito Vera versus Fr- Frankie, the answer. Edgar, obviously a legend versus a young up-and-coming guy. I mean, Chito's been up-and-coming for... Excuse me, I have the hiccups. Chito's been up-and-coming for a while. He, he was, he's been in the UFC since he's, he was uh, 23. Now he's 28, and he already has like 14 UFC fights or something. He fights a crazy amount of the time. He fights like three or four times a year for the last five years. He has five performance bonuses. He's tied with Dillashaw for the most stoppage wins in bantamweight history with eight. And as I said, he's only 28, while TJ is 35, I think. But he is a famously slow starter and, and has historically not been a good minute winner. Like all of his losses are by decision, and I think he only has three decision wins. But that has shown to be changing. I mean, his last fight, he out decision, he he outstruck Davy Grant and out grappled him for a decision. He was competitive minute to minute with Aldo. Um, he, he should have beat Song Yudong. I mean, most people believe he got robbed in that that Song Yudong fight. So really, if I mean, at the beginning, he was just jujitsu. He he was just a guy with great jujitsu coming off tough Latin America. Um, he had trouble in his first fight with David Grant. You could see he had like he was so out of it striking. He had no pop in his hands. He was constantly forced onto the back foot. He would be running into the cage. He had no awareness, no cage craft. The only real weapon he had striking was his roundhouse kick. And he really just relied on uh, on jujitsu. And when he got taken down, he would spend the whole time just trying to throw up submissions, which sometimes came off, but more often didn't. And he would lose decisions by just laying on his back and waiting. So that has changed. I'm, he talked about it actually this week um, in, in, in the re- first fight with Davy Grant. He, he allowed himself to be controlled, just throwing up submissions. Second fight with Davy Grant, fight of the night uh, a couple months back. He threw up some submissions. They didn't get him. So he swept and ended up on top in the, that second round and started really just throwing devastating ground and pound down on Davy Grant. So he's, he is more concerned with winning minutes now, and he's doing a much, much better job at it. He still has the, the a big, big problem in that he takes so much of the first round off. Um, like he, he's he's just the most famous slow starter out there, probably. I mean, he, he basically gave that first round away versus Davy Grant and in many other fights by doing almost nothing. I mean, he I'm sure he's using it to get his reads going, but you've got to you got to try to at least like if you give away one round, you are you're, you have to win the next two. You lose the fight or get a finish or you lose the fight. So it it does make him a fade spot pretty often, but I'll get into why that's not the case here for me. Um, he sw- he's switches stances constantly. And now he does have ga- great cage craft to go along with his uh, now effective pressure fighting. He's always going forward where before he was allowing himself to put on the back foot constantly. Um, Edgar 
can duck into the clinch to cut the pressure off, though that also might open the path for knees and elbows from the collar tie, which Cheeto has become famous for. He absolutely brutalizes guy with guys with his knees and elbows. I'm going to keep referring to that Davy Grant fight because it's the most recent one, but he also looked so good. He he was doing so much work with stepping elbows, um, grabbing the double collar tie, and, and kneeing him in the in the solar plexus, then transferring to single and smashing him with with cutting elbows. Davy Grant's face was a bloody mess by the end of that fight. Um, so we're going for that and his amazing jujitsu in the Kelleher fight back when. He was only jujitsu in a roundhouse kick, pretty much. Um, Kelleher went, got in on a takedown on his hips. Um, Cheeto grabbed the Kimura trap from the clinch. Kelleher kind of let go, but then came back in on it. And I tried to post the clip on Twitter, but it wouldn't let me. But he did in this amazing scramble where they were still standing. He transferred from the Kimura trap to an arm bar, and he finished the arm bar without even getting the leg over Kelleher's head and Kelleher has great jujitsu too. And Kelleher tapped in a second. He's just Cheeto's absolutely brilliant and scrambles has, um, so many tools off his back. He's like I said, he's constantly throwing up submissions, arm bars and triangles, and he finishes them at a, at a pretty good rate. Um, but I do like that. He is caught. Like I saw him not settle on the ground versus David Grant, but him talking about it actively shows that he's cognizant of that issue and working with Duke Rufus and those guys, has really helped him become a good minute winner, which he never was in the past. He he mixes up his targets really, really well. Um, I mean, he'll go between leg kicks, body strikes, and the head. He always maintains a good high guard, so he is defensively responsible, although he can get reckless moving forward. And the high guard is a bit static, so his body is open at times. Uh, I like that he uses the hand fight from open stance matchups to set up his rear hand straight. And he just uses his base weapons really, really well. The jab, the straight front kick to the body, leg kicks, um, along with those clinch tools I discussed earlier. And he's just, is over the fight, like he starts the first round usually on the back foot and then just over the fight, he he gains the front foot. Kind of like Peter Jan, not as, not as good, obviously, not as like measured pressure and just not, not as terrifying as Peter Jan. But he is, over the course of a fight, almost always takes away his opponent's will and gas tank away from them with body kicks, um, body punches, leg kicks, um, and, and incessant forward pressure as the tide, w tide will eventually almost always turn his way, except against the top tier of the division, like when he fought Jose Aldo two fights ago in a fight that he clearly lost, but he was still competitive with. And we know that Jose Aldo is far from being done in his career with the work body work he's put in lately. When we look back, I mean, his losses, he lost to John Lineker, and Douglas Silva Dondrage back to back in 2017 and 18. But then he went on a five fight winning streak, lost that controversial decision to Song Yudong, beat Sean O'Malley, lost to Aldo, and beat Davy Grant. So, really, if not for the bad decision, he, he would be on uh, one, two, three, an eight and one streak right now, just tearing through the, this division, um, knocking. And, and he had that during that five fight winning streak, he finished everyone that he fought. Uh, body punch in the second round, we're naked choke in the first. Punches in the first, rear naked choke in the second, ground a pound in the third. Um, and, and that's what got him to this upper echelon where now he's only fighting top guys or guys on the borderline of being top guys like Song Yudong, Sean O'Malley, Jose Aldo, and David Grant. And now Frankie Edgar in a fight that if he wins this, it really shoots him up into that top 10 where now he's right around 10 to 15. And I do think he has the potential to do it. Although Frankie may not be as done as he would seem for, for being a 40-year-old fighter uh 
and coming, especially one coming off of such a brutal knockout as that. And we know Frankie. Frankie's been around for ages. He's a legend of the lightweight division. He's moved down to weight classes um, over the last five, six years as fighters have gotten bigger and bigger. Unfortunately for him, the move in weight classes and his aging um, minimizes what was his main event advantage when he fought at his natural weight at 155 and stood only five foot six against much, much bigger guys, which was his speed. Right. He was still faster than Pedro Munoz when they fought last year, which is impressive, even though Pedro was pretty slow by top bantamweight standards. Um, but it has to be noted that a lot of people thought he lost that fight. Uh, like it was a split decision. I think it could have gone either way. I'm fine with the result, though I'm, I would have been fine with the other result. But it seems that most people, as a consensus, think that Pedro won that fight. And Pedro, although he's a very good fighter, he's a very limited fighter in terms of the tools he uses. Um, he has power right hands, low kicks, and great jiu-jitsu. Um, he didn't have the cage craft to stop Frankie from just circling out and point fighting and you know winning a decision by just tuning him up slowly throughout the fight. But regardless, Frankie is a legend. Regardless of what he is now, Frankie is a legend because he was one of the first to truly blend together his wrestling and striking fluidly at the highest level of MMA. Um, and along with what I al already said about him winning titles against much bigger, stronger foes and beating elite talent across three weight divisions over the span of a decade and some change. He also has the record fight time in the UFC history with seven hours and 41 minutes spent in the octagon when the next closest is RDA, who's over 30 minutes behind him. Um, He's spent almost five full rounds on top of elite jiu-jitsu guys like BJ Penn and Charles Oliveira and has never been submitted. He's only been stopped three times by knockout by Ortega, Zombie, and Sandhagen. His top game is great, and his takedowns are as well. With 70 takedowns, he's tied for fourth all-time in takedowns landed in UFC history. Although his takedown defense does leave a little bit to be desired at 65%, giving up 22 takedowns in his career, he has only conceded a 3.5% control rate to opponents, showing how good his get-up game is. He also has a 22% control rate of his own. One thing that does have to be discussed, though, especially if we're analyzing these stats, is the more recent struggles. Um, they tell yes, a much yes. different story about his current wrestling success. In his last eight fights, um, or nine fights, since and including the second title fight with Aldo, he's 9 out of 62 on takedowns, which is a 14.5% success rate compared to his previous success rate of, shoot, I had it here, of 31%. If we change that to his last six fights, he's three out of 34 on takedowns or 8.8%. Those numbers are really awful for someone who is, I mean, half of his game is wrestling. Um, in that first stat, the last nine fights, nine, five of those nine takedowns came against middling defensive wrestler Jeremy Stevens when uh, Frankie landed five of 14 takedowns to be on route to beating Stevens. Chido Vera has a pretty average career uh, takedown defense of 69%. Though a lot of that was, I feel, in his earlier career, he was content to not defend takedowns, end up on his back, and throw up subs. In his last seven fights, that number is 75%, because he actually is defending takedowns a lot of the times, and when he does get taken down, last two times he's been taken down. So in those last seven fights, he's only been taken down twice by Noel Hernandez. He, fin he su submitted him. And by Davy Grant, he stayed on bottom for about 30 seconds and then swept him and started doing real damage from the top. Um... Also, Frankie's striking stats in his last eight fights aren't as good as the rest of his career. 39% accuracy and 63% defense, which is a, just slightly lower than his career averages. But in his career, he was outlanding his opponents. In his last eight fights, he's gotten outlanded 4.8 to 4.4 uh, significant strikes per minute from distance. Uh, that's, that's courtesy of Numbers MMA. 
Um, it just shows clear regression from his earlier career when he was out landing his opponents consistently and taking them down consistently. Like I said, blending the wrestling and the striking. So I really feel that he doesn't have a path to getting top control here versus uh, Marlon Vera. If he does get a takedown, he'll be putting himself in danger of getting submitted, which, of course, like I said, he's never been submitted or swept. Um, Cheeto, even though Frankie's moving down from lightweight and featherweight, he's still the smaller fighter here. He's 5'6 with a 68-inch reach. Cheeto's 5'8 with a 70.5-inch reach. Um, and Cheeto's just fit, looks physically bigger, you can tell. I really, like... With Frankie's aging, there's no chance that he looks better than he did the last two times we saw him. We didn't see much of him versus Sandhagen, but versus Munoz, at best, he can look as good as he did in that fight. And due to Cheeto's greater variety of weapons to Munoz, even if, if, if Frankie just looks as good, fights as good as he did against Munoz, I still like Cheeto's uh, chances versus that version of Frankie. But that's like at a best case scenario for Frankie. He's been viciously knocked out since then and turned 40. I think he will look a fair bit worse, could look a lot worse. It's it's a major unknown, um, but an unknown that favors us in this situation where, uh, as you may t- be able to tell by now, I am uh, betting on Cheeto Vera. I think the point striking will be competitive with an edge to Frankie if he's at the best form he can be, but that I think is frankie's only real path to victory here the fight ending damage finishing potential is all cheeto vera frankie has never obviously been much of a ko guy or a submission guy um i think the grappling exchanges actually favor cheeto as well um he's shown cheeto has shown rapid improvement throughout his career going from just a tough jujitsu guy to just another fun mid-tier bantamweight in the space from 2014 to 2018 and then in these last three years since then going from that to a legitimate top 15 contender. Frankie is sadly on his way out. Um, His wrestling isn't what it used to be. Like I said, a win from him involves a lot of point fighting. I like the fighter. I I, I, I say this a lot. I like the fighter with more pass to victory. That's always going to be the guy I favor. So I'm on Cheeto Vera for a unit here, which I posted on Twitter that I got at minus 158 on five dimes a few days ago. It's around minus 170, 175 now, which I still like maybe for less than a unit maybe like three quarters of a unit, but that's up to your discretion. All right. Here's, here's the funny part for our listener or listeners. Um, <laughs> listener, we just have one, <laughs> but Val asked me last night. He's like, I know you love Frankie. You want to offer a good defense for him. And I said, um, you know, I love Frankie. Um, uh, people that do listen know I, I love the old fighters. I've been watching the sport a long time. I think Frankie's a legend, but I don't think he has a really a real path to victory, but I could create the case for it. But Val just made it so much harder after delivering that s- stat smackdown. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, I mean, that describes everything that's wrong with Frankie. I think here's an abbreviated version of what I think he can do. Cheeto is going to come out hard in the first because he's been accused of taking the first off, right? And he figures against Frankie, 40-year-old guy, I can come, you know, this will be the fight to try and work on that problem. Maybe. Yeah, that's what I think will happen. And I think uh, Frankie's path is to don't give up, don't give up real estate, but uh, try and counter punch and stay where you are. And like you said, in the past, he has had good duck under takedowns. Now, if you can get those and land those, it doesn't matter even so much how long you get top time. If you got to get away from him when he starts working on you, then get away and start and reset. This is, uh, 
I mean, I think Cheeto is a rising star. You know, I think he's yeah. very, I, he's very good, and we're seeing a shooting star on the other side. It's a, it's almost kind of sad in a way, but I'm not going to tell Frankie Edgar to retire. You know? No, <laughs> no. If he takes, I mean, a lot of people thought he should after that last fight. We talked about this last night that if he takes a lot of damage here, I will not want to be seeing him fight much longer. But that's up to him, of course. Right. So it's a very it's a very sad thing. You mentioned it. His path to victory is point fighting, and that's kind of what I'm saying too. Stay stay on the outside. He's lost that step, you know, because he's so old. I mean, you just lose that speed, that little something yeah. that gave all his moves and everything the the extra oomph that made him, you know, what he was, and he's lost that. So. It, it it's a very tough road for him. He can he can rely on being wily. He's one of the craziest uh, stylistic matchups ever, because his wrestling wrestling and striking blends together so well. And just uh you know he moves like Cruz and uh, Clay Guido and uh, Sanhagen does it a little now too. You know that weird rotating shit. Yeah, yeah. Staying on the outside and right. not letting him corner you. Right, and instead of always turning on sharp angles, sometimes they just, you know, they jump rotate their body. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a very weird, it's a very weird thing. He doesn't have it as much as he used to, and and that's probably his biggest thing. Is uh, otherwise he could still do it, but uh, Father Time catches up to everybody, and he's just not as fast as he was at twenty nine years old. Yeah. Well, one thing I just remembered is that we're back to the big cage. I mean, this isn't in the apex, so big cage will favor him a little bit. Uh, if you try, you know, trying to stay on the outside, trying to avoid the cage cutting and the pressure of Marlon Vera. Um, but yeah, I think I, I've, I've laid it all out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you. I think. Yeah, I, I could have, I could have had a more uh, spirited defense of him, but because I hadn't checked the stats that deep, but when you laid them all out, yeah, you can just see it. It's father time. It's not Frankie. Frankie in his head could fight another 15 years, but you know, father time's taking it out on his body. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you think Cheeto will come out hard and there's, there's a good chance he, he doesn't, I mean, he's been working on his deficiencies over the last, I mean, as he fights every three or four months for the last four years. Um, and, and he's improved in a lot of ways. But if he does, hasn't improved there, if he, if he does come out slow and he loses that first round, there, there's a good chance he could be plus money on the live line. And I, I honestly might double down on that, depending on how it's looking. Um, just throwing that out there. Maybe you guys will... I might put a tweet out about it if I'm going to make it official. We'll, we'll just have to see. Yeah, if he, if he comes out slow, that changes some stuff. But I suspect yeah. he'll he'll pick this as the fight where that's something he can work on. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He, sounds re- he sounds really... I mean, he knows this is the time for him to shoot up into that top 10. Frankie, I think, is number seven, something like that. Um, Maybe eight. Um, So, yeah, this, this is a huge fight for him, obviously, especially in front of Madison Square Gardens, which will be a home crowd for Frankie. Yeah. But which is <laughs> it's almost sad because I love Frankie. Yeah. You know, he's gonna get beat up at home probably. Um, but let's move on to the next one. Another fighter who has a home crowd here, Shane Burgos versus Billy Quarantillo. Um, oh, yeah. Burgos is from uh shoot, some random small town in, in New York. Uh, <laughs> um, but he, yeah, he still trains up there. Um Burgos, uh, we know him as like one of the most exciting fighters on the planet. His only losses in his career are to Barboza, Emmett, and Cater. Three of the best strikers in the division. 
Billy Quarantillo is is fun, but he's a long step down from that, especially in striking. Um, Burgos has 89% takedown defense, and that'll be key here. And he has faced a lot of takedowns in his UFC career. And when he has been taken down, he has shown a great get-up game. Um, one notable example is when Josh Emmett, who's a D-run wrestler, knocked him down in their fight, their fight of the year contender last year. Burgos was able to get back to his feet very quickly both times. He also stuffed 16 out of 19 takedowns versus Makwan Mirkani, but Makwan, of course, did gas as he always does, though he still Billy stuffed a lot of those takedowns while Makwan was fresh. Um, Billy will not gas in this fight, though. Billy uses his cardio as a weapon, but neither will Shane, who also uses his cardio as a weapon. His, his excellent conditioning, his cardio and toughness are just unreal, even despite his size and the big weight cut that Shane must have to go through because he's a massive featherweight. He'll have a five and a half inch reach advantage here along with just uh, being, I think, two inches taller and just being a significantly more muscled fighter than Billy Quarantillo. He has been susceptible to low kicks in the past, but that's not a tool I've seen Billy use often. Um, like Cheeto Vera, I said before, he, he mixes up strikes the legs, body, and head so well, pretty evenly, using body shots to open up the head for big power shots and leg kicks and body shots to wear on his opponents. He's great with his lead hand. His check hook and jab are both so sharp and fast. And then the right hand is, has a lot of power in it. And even though he's not a one punch knockout guy, like he throws bombs, but they're not usually putting guys out in one shot. He's going to a guy who drowns his opponents in pace and attritional damage, um, kind of like Justin Gaethje. Um, although Justin Gaethje does have some one punch knockouts. In fact, uh, Burgos is fifth in UFC history with 7.29 significant strikes landed per minute. And he strings together combos consistently, consistently throughout his fights varied ones as well that move between two or three targets you know start at the body go to the head finish with a leg kick it, it, it's stuff that i've talked about before that i love to see he pressures constantly but as we saw in the barboza fight barboza being a fighter who's been weak to pressure in the past uh burgos's pressure isn't as effective as it could be he moves forward always but it's more to brawl than it is to actually apply effective forward pressure to his opponents where someone like piotr jan constantly presses forward but stays just on the edge of his opponent's range so they think they can hit him, but often can't, or he can just pull back a tiny bit and, and avoid punches or just step in and, and, and land some big ones in the pocket. Burgos is always in range to hit and get hit. And that's how he likes it. I mean, he, he wants to take a hit and throw some back. Um, he, he'll fight with his hands dropped far too much and let himself take punches. So he does leave a lot to be desired defensively, even with his good head movement, um, but, he, which, but he could just be pro more proactive defensively. That's probably the main con I see here. Um, it, it is just his dangerous fighting style. It's one that like Gaethje, like Dan Hooker is tailored towards being a fan of favorite, but will lose him fights against the best fighters out there. Like yeah. He, his last two fights, Emmett and Barboza. I would, I would say uh, Gaethje in a early Korean zombie type of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just that, um, oh, wow. Is it exciting? But I mean, that's, that shit's not going to make you a champion. No, you take a lot of damage, you win a lot of bonuses, and you could be a contender, obviously, but not a champion. Um, but Billy Quarantillo, he's on the way up. Uh, although, I mean, he lost two fights to go to Gavin Tucker, which is a really important one contextually for this fight. But Billy Quarantillo has a similar MO uh, to Burgos, less brawling, but he is more, he is about winning. Uh, with pace and pressure, especially while striking, and he'll turn that pressure into takedowns once his opponents, you know, aren't ready for it, which is what he wants most of all to get the fight to the ground. I believe a, a stat I saw was that he is, I mean, he's, uh, I think, five and one in the UFC, maybe four and one if you don't count his contender series fight. 
yeah, four and one in the UFC without that contender series fight, although it was against the, uh, a UFC level guy in Kemwella Kirk. So let's say five and one. All those fights, he got at least 40% control time. The one fight he lost, he didn't get that control time. In fact, he, he barely got any. Um, Gavin Tucker was able to significantly out control him. So he needs, he, it shows that he needs to get takedowns to win. Um, if some, so if someone can maintain that distance and stuff takedowns and then outstrike him, strike cleaner and better than him and keep up with his pace, he has a lot of trouble. If there was too many looping shots, uh, when striking he's really herky jerky movement style that I believe puts him slightly off balance too often and often ends up with his head ahead of his stance, uh, leaving it wide open to be countered. Um, he has had a lot of trouble when opponents have worked the jab. Lots of his punches missed when he's fighting Gavin Tucker because he was just winging them so wide and Tucker was, was just a much cleaner striker, much like Shane Burgos. I mean, not as good as Shane Burgos, but they're both cleaner boxers. Billy Q's throwing wide looping shots like MMA back in 2006 when everyone just threw those wide looping bombs. Um, Gavin Tucker and, and Shane Burgos, even when they throw hooks, their hooks are tight and powerful and you know with no wasted movement on them. Uh, and Tucker was just landing first because he could beat him to the punch. Body work by Tucker was extremely effective in that fight and wearing Billy down and actually for the first time making Billy's gas tank fail him instead of Billy gassing his opponents out. So, and Burgos is much the same. He uses body work and he has great cardio. So Billy Q won't be able to beat down Burgos just with cardio and pressure. Um, Burgos loves to go to war and is a far superior striker. So without that pressure to break him, I, I really, really like Burgos in these striking exchanges. Um, his grappling is very good, but he was able to dominate with it versus some much lower level opponents like Kilburn, Nelson, and Kirk. Um, his, his UFC opponents, takedown defense, Gabriel Benitez, 56% in his last fight, fight of the night, great fight. Um, and that was his first good opponent, I would say. But still, a guy who has trouble historically with takedown defense. Nelson, 60% takedown defense. Spike Carlisle, 57% takedown defense. And that was... A back and forth battle like if you're gonna think you can beat someone like billy q i mean i'm not gonna go too far into this because it's a bit M mma math adjacent but if you shouldn't be getting into a war with spike carlisle if you think that you can beat billy q uh can beat shane burgos who's a guy who's getting to war with barboza and emmett and cater i don't know it just there i think there's a clear hierarchy here as far as the levels um and then kilburn in his ufc debut has only a 20% takedown defense in, in, in his UFC career. So he has gotten a lot of easier stylistic matchups handed to him other than Gavin Tucker, his only loss. Um, but still, he is good at using his striking to enter the clinch or use or shoot a double leg unopposed. He has great jujitsu and flows from position to position naturally, setting up submissions really well. And he has absolutely relentless ground and pound. He never gives opponents a chance to build back up without getting hit a lot by that ground and pound. So overall, there is a lot to like about Billy Quarantillo's game, or I guess it's Quarantillo. I just like saying Quarantillo. It sounds cooler to me. But at the end of the day, I don't think it's enough against the top 15 of this division, probably even the top 20. Um, his pressure and volume is enough to be mid-tier mixed martial artists, which is the thing I often say that if you just throw a shitload of punches and pressure constantly, you don't even need much nuance to beat these you know, mid-tier guys, guys who don't really have a shot at getting ranked. But at this level that he's stepping up to, the Burgos level, you need to have clean striking if you're going to box with someone like this. Um, you can't just rely on pace and pressure and physicality. And it's almost impossible not to box with Shane Burgos because his takedown defense is so good at, at almost 90%. I think it's like 7th in UFC history for guys with at least 5 UFC fights. No, it's like 11th. I checked this out earlier. Um, 
Burgos, of course, like I said, he has flaws in his game that he goes to war far too often when he doesn't have to. Um, but even in a pure brawl, which this could turn out to be, I think he should beat Billy Q pretty badly. Um, there are some plays I like other than the one I took. The The knockout line might have value, though this one could go the distance. Billy Q's a tough guy. Um, he had a lot of damage against Gavin Tucker and he stayed in there. Um, or the minus 3.5 uh, spread. But if Billy gets one takedown, maybe he wins a round or something. But I still, I don't see him getting enough takedowns to consistently win at least two rounds. So I really like the Burgos money line here, which I got at minus 185 on, I think, five times. Let me double check that. I got at minus 185 for Yeah, Yeah, that, that's what it is right now. Yep. 185. Yeah, five times. Yeah, some places minus 190. I still like that. It opened at like minus 215. I was really surprised to see it drop. I guess it's because, I mean, you're getting it at a good time. Billy Q, we're buying buying low on Chain Burgos coming off of two losses, especially that scary knockout versus Barboza. Right. Um, and, and we're buying, we're, we're selling high on, on Billy Q, who was an underdog in his last fight versus Mowgli Benitez, won that fight by dominant fashion in a fight of the night effort. And and now is being a bit overrated by the betting market here. This should be well above minus 300, I believe. So, yeah, two units. Billy Quarantine, or <laughs> Shane Burgos, lock it in. Yeah, um, we we've talked about Billy Q several times on this show. Um, he's he's a he's a good tough guy, but you mentioned it. This is uh, this might be his ceiling. You know what I mean? He's entering into a new realm here, and I believe yeah. as well as you that the line should be much higher than what it is on Burgos. Yeah. So simple as that. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Unless we yeah, get it wrong. I, it's never so simple. But, right. but yeah, that's how I see it going. Um, all right. I mean, now uh, we're on to the big uh, three fights. The, the three right. fights that are where, on the poster. Where you want to start here? Uh, we're just going to go with the non-title fight first. And it's probably the shortest one to discuss because, I mean, it, it, it's not simple necessarily, but it's definitely simpler on paper than the other two. Yes. It, it could, it should just be a brawl. I mean, they both are going to come forward and swing at first, at least Chandler. I mean, he might maybe all of what he's saying is, oh, I'm going to meet him in the middle and throw down with him. Could be all all smoke and mirrors to disguise the fact that he's going to try to wrestle. But I don't think it is. Chandler has an ego and he, he's he's trying to get back some of that after his his loss to Charles Oliveira last time. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think and uh, that'll be that'll be the end of it right there is if uh Let's say Chandler hits uh, Gagey with a full power swing, you know, and Gagey's proven to have a strong chin. If that if that sets the bar, we might see it in 17 seconds into the first round. Who knows? I Yeah, I definitely think Gagey has the chin advantage here. I mean, he's been shown to get hurt in the past, but still stay in there. Uh, I mean, he gets hurt in almost every fight and still stays in there. But Chandler has shown to have chin issues maybe these days. Um getting knocked down like he did against against Pitbull and Charles Oliveira, uh, which those were both great shots that he got hit with, but he dropped his hand. Well, I'll discuss, I'll, I guess I'll dive right into it and discuss that shot because with his chin in question, like Charles Oliveira's knockout shot was beautiful, no doubt. But Chandler, he threw a punch, threw a, left, uh, a right hand, threw a left hook, I believe it was. No, left and then a right, dropped his hands after throwing, and then, you know, he was... He threw and then admired his work, and then Charles just came with that clean, tight left hook that he's, he's that has been improving so much for him over the years, and it got right through. And, and Justin Gaethje could do the same. He throws a great lead left hook as well. Um, so Chandler's dropping his hands after throwing bombs, which 
most of his game is throwing bombs. Like he Chandler's not a really diverse fighter technically. No. He's a great no. athlete. He's an incredible athlete. I mean, he's pretty short for the division, but he's really thick. He's so explosive. Maybe the most explosive guy in the division. Um, although it limits his cardio how often he because of how often he uses that explosion. Um and and uses pressure to to land that big right hand his his speed and power are off the charts but just with limited weapons i like i like the guy with more weapons um and and he's not throwing combos he's so one and done with punches like never throwing combos that i i really don't like that at all especially against a guy like gaichi who can eat one shot i mean you got to hit him with a lot if you watch the finishing sequences of the alvarez and poirier fights when he's been knocked out they're really putting it on him as far as combination work um, we discussed this last time Chandler fought versus Oliveira that his cardio can be limited. And if the fight gets into the third round, he'll often use takedowns against the fence to stall the fight out. Um, regain some cardio. He did it versus Eddie Alvarez. He, he did it versus Brent Primus back in the day. He did it in a lot of fights. Um, Benson Henderson, he, he yeah. consistently does that in the third round, fourth round will take down stall and just stay, stay in a closed guard and, and lay on top of his opponents until he gets you know, a second win and comes back and fights in the fifth. Um, but obviously this is a three round fight and it probably won't go as far as the third round, though. If it does, Gaethje has a, a clear advantage unless Chandler can land a takedown. Um, also Chandler susceptible to low kicks. He has a really low wide boxing stance and we know Justin Gaethje loves to punt people in the leg. Gaethje did talk about how Khabib took him down off of a leg kick and so he needs to be more careful with them. But I think that's a good thing. I mean, he in, in Muay Thai, and and now in MMA with the low kick taking over, guys have to be really careful to not get their kicks checked, not get taken down. And so you have to do a lot of work to set up that low kick. And I like that Gaethje is learning, or at least sounds like he's learning, that he needs to set up the low kicks better instead of just punting people's legs incessantly. Right. Guys are learning to check the low calf kick. Um, but Gaethje, I mean, he hands fights very effectively, drawing out attacks so he can counter. He pressures and leaves his opponent. Like, you brought up the Korean zombie earlier, and that's a great comparison because they're both pressure fighters, but also counter strikers. They pressure into counters. Um, and Gaethje, when he pressures forward, he gets his opponents back against the fence. He leaves them with two striking-based options, which is either escape to the side and they'll run into his kicks or stay on the center line and get hit. The third option, of course, is to level chains. And I think Gaethje's takedown defense has become underrated just because he got taken down by Khabib. I mean... He, he doesn't have any jujitsu, literally never trains jujitsu, <laughs> right? But he does still have takedown defense. I mean, he hasn't had to use it much in the UFC, but he is still a good defensive wrestler. Um, so I, I think he, if he's cognizant of that, I think he can avoid takedowns from Chandler. Um, but though if he does, the, the, the worry is that he can't, and Chandler gets on top of him, and then then Gaethje gets into real trouble because he. Like I said, doesn't really do any jujitsu. Yeah, he doesn't know what to do once he's there. Um, but Gaethje is so often about being first and third in striking exchanges, which is where much of his success comes from a technical sense. He pressures, attacks to control the counter. You know, he, he's letting his opponent throw back at him, but he's controlling the situation and when it happens, and then counters that counter. Most of the devastating shots he landed on Tony in their fight were just like this. Um, like what I said. When he gets too overzealous, though, and doesn't try to draw out counter shots before attacking with his full power is when he has gotten hurt in fights. I mean, earlier on in his career, he would still do this, but he was more of a brawler. 
uh, versus Michael Johnson in round one. He got hurt versus Dustin. He got hurt and finished versus Eddie. He got hurt and finished versus Tony. He got dropped at the end of round two because he grew a little reckless. Um, but there is one thing I like that it really shows the turning point for Gaethje is that Whitman said this on Joe Rogan when him and Gaethje were on Joe Rogan last year. Whitman asked Justin Gaethje, do you still just want to be like the most exciting fighter in the world? And Justin said, no, I, w- I want to be the champion. And then after that, Eddie Alvarez lost is when he really started to turn his game around and focus on being more technical, not just a brawler. Although he is still a great brawler, he 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 is much more technical than he used to be. And I think he's technically a better striker than Chandler. Maybe not as good of an athlete, pure athlete as Chandler, um, just as far as pure explosion yeah. and power and speed. But he has better combinations, better setups, better hand speed, um, better variety. And I think he's a great. Yeah, I, I think he's worked on that uh, since we saw him coming into the UFC because he he was not the striker he is now back then. I don't not think. No, no, he. You know what I mean? He was throwing Dan Hendo shots from. You know, what I mean, his game's evolved a lot, a lot for sure. Um. And he's a great volume striker. He's not as much of a one punch, kind of like Burgos, although he has he has one punch knockouts like against Vic and Barboza. But he is also a nutritional damage striker. He's in his volume is great and he has great cardio because he is pretty small for the weight class. He doesn't cut that much weight. I think if he really, really wanted to, he could make featherweight. But he he fights nearer to his natural weight than almost anyone does these days. You can just see he's not nearly as ripped as the guys he's fighting. Um but yeah, great volume striker. He's fourth in UFC history, right above Burgos. Like I said, his fifth. He's right at fourth with 7.46 significant strikes landed per minute. Um, and, and he has really good accuracy as well because, I mean, he's really accurate puncher, no doubt, but he also low kicks help with accuracy stats. Um, I think Gaethje wins, but he is like a minus 215 favorite. So it's 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 gotten a bit too far. For me to to really say, yeah, I'm gonna take that. Yeah, minus two ten, minus two hundred. I mean, Chandler has fight ending potential at any time. Um, I my main lean here is on the under under one point five. I think might be a good bet. For now, I'm laying off though. Gaethje by knockout is yeah evens minus one hundred, minus one fifteen. So I like I said, I have a lean on the under, but I think there is more of a chance of this fight going to a decision than people think. Just because two people meet in the middle. And both have power doesn't mean there's gonna be a knockout right away. There could be. There absolutely could be like a 10 second knockout in this fight, a first round knockout, a second round not early second round knockout. Um, but in, in this three round fight, it it could draw out into a protracted war, especially if Chandler's shin isn't as weak as we think it is. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well. So so really no play for me. We'll see that about Chandler's chin because uh, Gagey will be the guy to test it. Um. Yeah. For sure. I, I I wouldn't have a play on this fight either at all because the numbers are where they are. I'm I'm not a yeah. big I'm not never been a big Chandler fan, so I got to factor that into that. Uh, you know the fact that I don't necessarily like him. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I understand. I mean, Gaethje's my favorite. Gaethje, Rose, and Poirier, as many people know, are like my three favorite fighters. Some other guys in there now, like Ricky Tercios and Brandon Moreno, but. The, those those generally are my three favorite fighters, and two of them are fighting on this card, of course. But well, I mean, let's get into the next one then. Rose. Yeah, yeah. I just want to say on the final thing though, um, this is a big shot for either of these guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, a I, huge shot. A win here is big. I don't know if Chandler deserves it yet at this point in his UFC career, as Gagey does, 
but it is what it is. So a win here is a big deal for either of them. Yeah. And Gigi wants the title shot with a win. Chandler, obviously he's not getting it back right away, but it, it, it puts him back in the contention. Um, uh, I, and anyone who knows me knows that Gagey versus Poirier two is my like most wanted fight ever. Like I need the <laughs> second fight with the improvements Gagey's made. So if, if Gagey wins this one, um, and, and he's still, he's the number two contender. Poirier's number one. If Poirier and Poirier beats Oliveira, I'll be so, so thrilled if they make that, that, that rematch. Um, I really hope they don't just yeah, shove Islam Makachev above them, but we have to have both of those guys win mm-hmm. first for that to happen. So I'm not counting my chickens before they mm-hmm. hatch. All right, so on to the next. Like I already said, I have bias here because Rose, but Thug Rose versus Magnum Zhang Wei Li. I always think Magnum's a weird nickname for her. I don't. I, maybe she just didn't speak English and like Magnum PI back in the day, but it just makes me think of condoms. Anyway, uh, yeah, it makes me think of condoms too. Like Magnum <laughs> is a dude nickname. Don't use that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I like I like Wei Li too. I have to say, but not as just not as much as Rose. Um. I mean, my analysis for this one is a lot the same as last time when we hit her at, I think, plus 180 for one and a half units is that she should be the clearly better fighter for two rounds striking. But the bouncing on the balls of her feet is a style that she can't keep up for five rounds. Uh, I mean, she's proven in the past she can't. She always comes down off the balls of her feet to being flat footed in the third or fourth, um, like in the Joanna fight and in the second Andrade fight in the third round. She lost that round. Um, I also worry about about i told it to you last night i worry about Whaley's training with cejudo that could be like the x factor is if Whaley wrestles she's a very powerful fighter obviously and getting in close and wrestling um will allow her to use that power um if she takes rose down which rose has had takedown defense issues on the past i mean obviously she lost the title she's improved a lot since then but she lost the title the first ever straw weight title fight to carla esparza um great wrestler so rose could have she's a grappler by nature like she's now she's known as a striker, but she was a grappler at first, but not a wrestler. Submission grappler more than anything. She has about 50% takedown defense in her UFC history. So that's really my worry there. Um, if not for the Cejudo factor, I'd probably be on Rose here. As it is, uh, I might do what we did last time and bet Rose with a potential live bet for Wei Lee at plus money after two rounds because I think Rose wins those two rounds and then Wei Lee is a live dog. Um, but if Whaley wrestles in those first two rounds, all bets could be off. Also, historically, fighters coming off a of first round KO wins are overvalued in betting odds and vice versa for those coming off round one knockout losses. Uh, Numbers MMA actually made a really good post about this last week because a round one knockout is a really big statement and the betting markets adjust to that. But it doesn't tell us how the fight will play out over a longer period of time as this fight is likely to do. I mean, it's it's really hard to envision this hap- the same thing happening again with a round one finish for either side, really. So anything can happen, of course. Um, for Rose, though, controlling the action is key. She, she, I mean, Andraj and Janjacek lost to Wei Li, although I think Janjacek won that fight still. But they got they Andraj got knocked out, and Joanna fought a really close fight with Wei Li because they fought her game. I mean, uh, Andraj is always going to fight that power game and going forward and getting into brawls and joanna stayed in the pocket and did just traded combos with Whaley constantly rose isn't going to do that rose at least not until later in the fight if she can't you know stay out of range but she's going to be bouncing in and out for for that definitely the first two rounds um and and not let Whaley's strength uh take control of the fight you know just just touch her up from the outside hamstring her a little maybe with with leg kicks body shots 
uh, you know, mess her up a little bit with jab and just really be the overall more technical striker. But then what concerns me, obviously, is those last three rounds when Rose comes down off the balls of her feet, is flat-footed, and Whaley can get her to probably brawl with her. Like, if you look at the Joanna fight, second Joanna fight for Rose, she she outstruck Joanna pretty easily for two rounds, and then the last three rounds were really close. And well, the last third and fourth round were really close, which I think, or closer, I think Joanna won those rounds, but it, the tide turned because Rose couldn't keep striking from the outside, and Joanna was able to enforce her will, really, fighting on the inside, trading close in pocket boxing combinations. Um, and then Rose just really found something in her and, and in the fifth round outbrawled Joanna, which was pretty incredible. Um, but it'll be hard to do that with Whaley. If, if she gets into a brawl, she could be in real danger. Whaley does have trouble with ring craft and people fighting for the outside. Um, so like, like she will pressure forward, but it's not necessarily effective pressure. As we discussed a couple times in this podcast, kind of like Shane Burgos, she's pressuring to get into a brawl, not pressuring to cut, cut cage and, 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 close their opponents off, not using kicks to stop them as they, as they exit the side door. Um, she also does have limited weapons. She has a big right hand. She throws looping hooks and combos and inside low kick. I mean, her inside low kick is really great. And that will be important here to get Rose to come down off the balls of her feet earlier. So slow her footwork down. Um, and then collar ties, knees and elbows is what Whaley loves. That's, that's one of the main things she used to beat Andrade and take the title. So, I mean, yeah, I really see it the same as last time, except with the added wrestling factor for Zhang Weili. Rose has uh, unappreciated power. I think Weili has more trouble than people realize dealing with outside strikers. If you need proof of that, look at the Tisha Torres fight, which Weili should, you know, just if you look, think of levels, you think back you, as what we know now, you think of levels, you think, oh, Weili's way better than Tisha Torres. But she she had trouble in striking exchanges with Tisha in that fight. Because yeah, Tisha stayed yeah, on the outside. Did. Yep. Um, but Wei Li is a much better wrestler as well than people realize. I mean, she has a, about even uh, finishes by submission and, and knockout. Um, and she showed her wrestling earlier in her UFC career, admittedly against much lower level opponents. Though, again, I just worry about Rose's takedown defense. Rose, though, like I said, great submissions. Um, she, we haven't seen them for a while. She was known as a grappler for so long. And now she's known as a striker. People forget about her grappling, I think. So it'll be interesting if it hits there, but I think Whaley probably does have the advantage on the ground, which is the main thing that scares me off of taking Rose at slight plus money for here. Though I, I still, that's still my lean. I mean, Rose started at like minus 135, I think is what you told me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, um, I saw it first at like minus 115, you know, evens. And now you can even get it at plus 105, even plus 107 if you have Cloud Bet. The best though that I could get is. Plus 105, DraftKings, Pinnacle, and Five Dimes, all plus 105. Right. So it's a slight lean. Um, <laughs> I think this one could go the distance, but I'm not willing to bet that either because I see potential for Whaley to get a finish on the ground, um, Rose to get a finish on the ground, or Rose to get a knockout, or Whaley even to get a late knockout. Uh, I, le- I think this one's going to be a decision. My pick would be Rose by decision, but I think if it's a decision, it's a close decision with Rose winning the first two and Whaley winning the last two, unless, again, Whaley can dominate with wrestling. Yeah, um, I kind of feel like a genius on this one because you and I talked about it last night. And yeah. I, I got her on five dimes for even money. Yeah. yeah we, <laughs> I, 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 like, I, I think I told you I'd, I'd see it like 55, 45 for Rose, but I tr- I'm trying to not let my bias play a factor right. in Right, I know you're, you know? you're a big Rose so, stand, so. But I don't, 
and I think that is a slight edge, like five percent edge. Um, but that's that's not enough for me for to recommend for an official play. But it's a lean, and uh, I mean we'll have our daughter. I, I think daughter um, of the week segment later. So yeah, yeah. Well, I think when you when you're talking um when you're ta- when there's a you know if you're talking negative money or whatever, then that little bit of play wouldn't have been it. But anything. At even money, and I I figure at fifty five forty five like you do as well. And knowing Rose's career, I, I I'm gonna give it to her there. I think I'm stealing money here. She she has had a lot of success in rematches, winning both of her matches against um Andrade and Joanna. It will be a good. And if she it wins this, it could set then. up. I mean, if, if this wins that she wins this, it could set up another another uh rematch against Carla Esparza. Or if she loses this, could set up a trilogy with Wei Lee. If um, and then if she wins, say if she wins the trilogy or beats Esparza, could set up a trilogy with Andrade. There's so many options here in the strawweight division. It's by far the best women's division. And I just love to see love to see a good women's division. Right, a one that's actually stacked with competition. Yeah, yeah. But um, all right, on to the next. All I mean, right, let's do it. Here we go. Yeah, the main event. Uh, we know. I think everyone's listening to this has seen these guys fight several times. I'd probably called them. I mean, some people are fans of Colby because of the way he talks, but I I don't think many people are a fan of his fighting style. And for a long time, that was true of Usman as well. Um, definitely when they had their first fight, it was like it was a great high level fight. But if you think about what where they were at that level, just dominant wrestlers who weren't good finishers, it could have been a really boring fight. But it, it turned out to be a, an amazing fight with them just going to war and and not trying to wrestle at all, constantly striking. You know, no breaks, no nothing. And um, outside of the the technical aspects, what we'll talk about in the true MMA portion of this, but this has become like kind of a political spectacle on a scale as well, hasn't it? Like you know, yeah, I mean, it's a grudge match, <laughs> right? For, it, for sure, yeah, and, like. I mean, a, Usman's yeah. the immigrant and Colby Covington's yeah. the uh, make America great again guy. And I, I don't care either way. I, uh, I'm i watching MMA, but this has become, in a way, a big deal. I mean, Covington's been to the White House. Yeah. You know, so. so it has to be said, and I think a lot of people don't realize this, that Usman, Usman's like a Trump, a Trump supporter, too. Just not he's not like a vocal political guy like Colby is. Um, but it definitely has shades of the Woodley and Colby match where uh, Woodley was all Black Lives Matter and Colby was all MAGA. Um, but that's all outside of what what I'm going to get into here. So that first fight was great. No doubt about it. Um, both guys made a lot of mistakes technically, though, and they let their egos take over and just went to war. Um, and Usman came out better because he was able to keep up with Colby's volume and pace, even though he did get overwhelmed at times like. Colby's pace is insane. We know that. And despite Usman's great jab, often being enough to keep Colby from blanketing him with that relentless volume and pace and pressure, he still got overwhelmed at times. He got forced to fight a little more reckless and emotional than usual, letting his punches get loopy when he's known for his straight shots. Um, but in the end of the day, he surprised Colby, Colby a lot with his gas tank and his power, like I said, won the day in what was up until the fifth round a close fight. But of course, Usman is just so much better now than he was then. He doesn't just have to rely on his physicality when he's striking. Um, and he doesn't just have to rely on his wrestling uh, when when he can't strike because he can strike with almost anyone, even if it's like with Masvidal, it's because of the, re- the threat of the takedown allowed him to land that shot. But it was still a great shot to knock Masvidal out cold. 
Um, so Usman's become, gone from one of the most boring fighters in people's eyes to one of the bigger stars in the UFC with some exciting knockouts lately against Burns and, and Masvidal and, and the fight of the night war and knockout against against Colby in his first title defense. Um, a stark change from his his early UFC days, you know, even 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 up until that title shot with Woodley when he was just winning every round, dominating everyone, 10, eight, more 10-8 rounds than I think anyone in UFC history, but got a lot of disdain for his, his style of fighting. Um, but he's great from either stance now, and being that good from both stances helped him a lot in the last fight and will help him here. He can tailor his main tools, um, which are his jab and his straight, to, to those stances um, as Colby's, you know, using the jab uh, from closed stance in the in the straight from open stance matchups. Um, and as well as a less appreciated tool of his, his front kick to the body, which that body work, including the front kick and, and you know, uh, lead hand digs to the body, straights to the body by Usman in that first fight was absolutely crucial in forcing Colby to slow down, like we discussed earlier with another pace king, uh, uh, Billy Quarantillo, when he fought Gavin Tucker, the body shots will slow any pace king down. I don't care how durable and how great your cardio is. You eat body shots, you're going you're gonna to double over a bit. And we saw that. Colby would drop his hands sometimes and bend forward in pain after a good body shot. But Usman, like I said, would also get overwhelmed by the pace and pressure of Colby. Um, Colby and Usman just can fight a much better fight now, I think. I mean, I don't think that it was his best fight because he could have done better technically to keep from getting overwhelmed. Um, and especially now he can with this, these last two years being under Trevor Whitman and, and learning. I mean, Henry Hooft was a good place to get a base level of striking, which he needed as he came into the UFC, only a wrestler. But now um, Whitman's the guy to give you that that higher echelon, the, the nuance, the type of things you s- see when he knocked out Masvidal, slapping away the 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 high guard and, and smashing him with the straight right. That's all Whitman. Um, but Colby also didn't fight his fight, really. He wasn't fading as much. He was staying in boxing range far too much, which allowed Usman's power to be too effective on him. He didn't use kicks enough. Like Those l- low kicks should really be used against good jabbers. Usman's jab is great, but if Colby can counter it with low kicks, he can really eat up Usman's leg. And Usman obviously is known to have horrible knees. Um, so that should be a f- big focus of Colby this time out. Um, but Colby is like the Marvin Vittori of Weltermate. To me, at least in striking, he's a much better wrestler than Vittori, but he throws arm punches, you know, bad form. So he has almost no power, which that allows him to go forever. I mean, not that he doesn't have good cardio, but it's easier to throw a record setting volume like they did in the first fight without throwing bombs constantly, just throwing, you know, uh, I don't want to say pitter patter because there are times that he can hurt people, but he's not going to be knocking anyone out on the feet. Let's just say that. Um, And that allows him to strike a lot for a long time throwing the insane volume we've seen him throw against guys like Woodley and Robbie Lawler and Usman, even though he got outstruck by Usman, it was still a record setting volume for both guys for a welterweight fight. Um, but yeah, he, he still got, he got outlanded in that first fight with both in volume and in terms of power. So in this fight, he, he definitely has to make the more changes. He should try to wrestle. I believe even if he can't get a takedown, it'll be a valuable tool to potentially sap Usman's gas tank and mix it up. One point in favor of Colby is maybe is that Usman's 100% takedown defense, the highest in UFC history for someone over over the requisite amount of takedowns that they have. I think it's like over 10 takedowns and over attempted against in over five fights, mostly against Demian Maia, who just spams takedowns. Usman has defended 20 out of 20 takedowns in his career, but 15 of those were against Maia. 
Three were against Burns, one was against RDA, and one was against Tyron Woodley. But then again, on the other hand, Maya is all, most of Colby's takedown defense success as well, as Colby defended 13 out of 13 against Maya, making up 13 out of 18 out of um, the total takedowns he's defended in his career, uh, which he's been taken down six times, so uh, 18 out of 24 total takedown defense. Um, further, RDA and Woodley, guys who couldn't take down Usman, are guys that would that Colby has conceded takedowns to. RDA took down Colby three out of six times and controlled him for over two minutes, which isn't great in general for you to get only two minutes of control on three takedowns. But from a guy like RDA, who's consistently weak to wrestlers against a wrestler of Colby's caliber, it's it's pretty good and not necessarily a great sign for Colby. Dong Hyun Kim earlier in Colby's career also took Colby down two out of four times. Uh, even though he was only able to control Colby for a minute. And Woodley's lone takedown against Colby resulted in only 14 seconds control time. But still, we see Colby hitting the floor, hitting his butt to the floor against fighters that Usman has stuffed takedowns against with ease. Um, and we see both of their impressive takedown defenses stats, both of their impressive takedown defense stats being inflated by Demian Maia's style of spamming takedowns relentlessly. So, I mean, there's no doubt they're great wrestlers. Um, Colby... All-American, Division One, Usman, Division Two national champion. Um, but in the end of the day, I think Usman is just better enough everywhere. I think he's at, at best for Colby. It's a wash. Wrestling at worst has a slight advantage for Usman. Um, and I think Usman is no, without a doubt the more nuanced striker. Colby's only real advantage here is his pace and pressure. I mean, he's smaller than Usman and that so he cuts less weight and I think because Usman's so big, Colby was really surprised that Usman was able to keep up with his pace for five rounds. I think that's why Colby calls him the CEO of EPO because he can't fathom Usman being able to keep up with him for five rounds. Um, but I, I really just see Usman's more nuanced striking skills, his ability that uh, that I think he should have, and he, he could have even had in the first fight if he had fought smarter, his ability to keep Colby off him and not let his pace take over the fight while still fighting at a high pace, just not fighting at Colby's pace, not fighting where Colby wants to fight, fighting where he wants to fight, being the more nuanced striker, the more powerful striker, um, and the longer striker, significantly longer striker, especially with that jab being so long. Um, we've talked about it before, of course, coming right down the chamber with absolutely no setup, the jab in the straight right, so powerful, so crisp, so clean, and so hard to see coming. Um, so yeah, I think Usman should decisively outstrike Colby. I think it'll be hard for Colby to get takedowns and win minutes. Um, I think Usman will win. I, I don't know if it'll be a knockout. A lot of people are predicting an early knockout for Usman, and I was at first. But Colby is very, very tough. He has a great chin. Um, so it, it could go to a decision, but I really think Usman wins. But he is a minus 300 favorite, so I, I, I don't have a play here. Um. Yeah, I agree with Everything you said, I think I might have a play here in our Don't Be a Pussy Parlay. Um, this fight, I'm not really big fans of either of these guys. I just think Covington's an asshole. Well, it, uh, Usman is growing on me. When he was on uh, The Ultimate Fighter, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily convinced about his skill when he was on that show, but it's been time-tested. You know what I mean? So... Mm -hmm. Every time I say, well, let's see what he does here. He does he does very well. Yeah. This will be a good fight. Um, the other thing, I mentioned the politics, but that's because I was thinking just about how this fight is so weird. Both these guys want to be Conor McGregor. 
You yeah, know they, they, I mean? they, they absolutely do. Yeah. I mean, they're both, I, I've posted on Twitter a couple times about it. My personal Twitter, not the, the podcast Twitter, but I was like, yeah, this podcast, or this, this press conference is going to be just absolutely insufferable. <laughs> and it was, they're both so bad. Usman is just a bad actor. And Colby just has bad lines that he reuses over and over again. To be fair to him, he had better lines than I expected. Like the Pepto-Bismol one to the, to the reporter guy was pretty good. But in general, he, 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 neither of them are good on the mic and they both think they're good on the mic. And Colby's fans get really hyped up to hear him on the mic. Um, and I don't necessarily understand why. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they both had terrible fashion choices yesterday. Just, but that, uh, this, this is all outside of it. I mean, it's fun stuff. It's stuff that sells the fight. I think Usman, you know right. how Usman pushed him at the face off. I think that's entirely just to sell the fight. I, I don't think Usman's really that like emotionally frustrated no. or, or no, he's not one Colby. of those guys. He keeps talking. I mean, he's he, like the Gilbert Burns fight burns a former teammate. We saw how Usman didn't, uh, you know, just completely shut off that friendship part of his brain. Didn't bump fist with him at the, at the, uh, you know, when they met in the middle um, and Burns looked hurt by that. And then Usman just beat, beat him down. And then afterwards he allowed himself to feel emotion and hug his friend. So I, I think Usman's great at, I mean, I think they both have great mental states as far as fighting, not necessarily for trash talking, but for fighting, they're both very tough. Yeah, not very guys. good. Yeah, no, no, yeah. Um, I I have nothing bad to say about them as athletes or um, mixed martial arts competitors. They're they're both stellar. It, it's just a very funny thing. Like uh, everyone, uh, everyone that becomes a, a pro wrestler thinks they can be Hulk Hogan. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> Con- Conor McGregor was a diamond in the rough. You know what I mean? Not everyone's yeah. going to be able to pull that off. Most of our champions are humble and respectful and, you know, may talk a little shit, but really that's... Yeah. I mean, yeah. Look at the champions right now. Moreno. I mean, Jan doesn't really speak English. Or, um, but Volkanovski, Oliveira, um, Izzy talks shit, um, but Glover and Ganu, these are all pretty respectful guys. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah. it's, just, it's just a very funny thing. I am excited to see the fight. And I, I, uh, I'm i not a fan of Covington at all, but I definitely respect him. And Usman has grown on me, even though he should. I think his, his uh, way to fame would be paved if he didn't even just try to be an asshole. If he was just like, look at me, man. I'm from Nigeria and fucking shit rules for me now. You know what I mean? Like yeah, Nike. He let his talent speak. Right. Nike and everyone would love the motherfucker. So we'll see. Yeah. All right. Boom. You know what time it is. Yes, I do. You want to go first? Um, I'll go first. You want to do the. Uh, I'll just do them both and you do yours both. Okay. All right. Um, walking the dog like Rose isn't fair because she's uh, at 105 now. But I got her at 100 yesterday, so she wasn't a dog when I bought her, so that wouldn't be fair. Um, I'm, you know, I'm gonna go with, uh, I'm gonna go with Iaquinta. I oh, think, you were gonna... yeah, I think that number is a little skewed. I think there's some good value there. So, so yeah, I, I really wanted to take someone else. Um, I looked at CJ Vergara, I liked him on the contender series. I just haven't seen enough from him. Um, and he missed weight today, which isn't something I, it, it, you know, never something you like to see in a fighter you're on. And I don't, I just don't see a lot of dog value on this card. Maybe even Chandler at, at plus 185 because he, he, he can win this, but I, I am on. Yeah. There's, go. I mean, yeah. There's, 
you're right. There's not a lot of dog value here. I'm sorry. Yeah. I interrupted you. You're good. I, I am going to go with uh, Nami Yunus at, at plus 105 as my dog of the week. Yeah, see, it wouldn't be fair for me to take it today since I I told yeah. you I bet it yesterday. But for my Don't Be a Pussy Parlay, I got Usman. I'm going to take uh, Cheeto, Burgos, um, Piera, and I'm not going to take my Don't Be a Pussy Parlay this week because it's such a tight fix. No, you know what I am going to I'll take Eric Quinta too. Fuck it. Okay. There you go. I'll stay with my record. What I do. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to take Ian Gary. Um, Pejera Michalidis ends inside the distance, which is like minus 220. Um, uh, Shane Burgos, Chito Vera, and, and Usman. All right. So, yeah, that, that's the show. I mean, we, we got back to it after a couple weeks off. Uh, yeah. I'm excited on. for this card. Yeah. Hold on. Let me hit the outro music and we'll talk over it like we used to. <laughs> all right dude yeah we had we had a couple weeks off um i think one week you had something going on next week i did and it got but yeah, we're back got out of the habit right we're back we're back it'll be good this is a good card um bellator tomorrow night you're gonna watch no, bellator? Tonight, tonight oh tonight yeah it's friday yeah, Shit. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna watch i'll watch the main card at least um well you want to meet in the server and check it out yeah. together Okay, yeah. um, hey, also funny, and we're going to leave this in the podcast. Andrew just hit me up. He lost his virginity. I- I'm so proud of him. Yeah, it's big news. <laughs> <laughs> big news. I didn't ask him. I said, uh, did you know the person beforehand? Because I didn't know if it was a guy or a girl. I didn't want to make assumptions. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Um, send me your audio, and we'll get this right up. All right, we'll do. All right, Peace. I'll talk to you, brother.